Hey, everybody, welcome back to Bikes and Big Ideas on the Blister Podcast Network. I'm Jonathan Ellsworth, the founder of Blister, and you can check out everything we're doing and reviewing and all of our other podcasts over at blisterreview.com. And as always, we are broadcasting this episode of Bikes and Big Ideas from Crested Butte, Colorado. And as we are inching toward a world of reduced travel restrictions and sheltering in place, you definitely ought to start making your plans to come spend some time on our amazing network of trails here in the Gunnison Valley. All right, today we are back at it with part two of our bikes versus skis debate, where we ask the question, which bike company is currently the most like which ski company? And once again, I want to emphasize that the word currently is really important here because companies rise and fall and evolve over time. And so these analogies are referring to this present moment in time. They aren't going to hold true for all time, which is why we will continue to revisit this conversation from year to year. And just in case there's someone who's sitting there thinking like, why are you doing this in the first place? Well, there's two primary reasons. First one, it's fun. And the second one is because it turns out that thinking through these parallels and analogies between the bike and the ski industry actually is kind of useful for getting a better sense of the current position and reputation and trajectory of a bunch of the different brands in these two sports. Okay, now, if you somehow missed part one, then you might want to go first check out episode number 24 of Bikes and Big Ideas, and then come back to this one. But honestly, you can probably just go ahead and listen to part two, then go back and listen to part one. I'm not really sure the order matters this time around. And then I should say that if you want to go listen to the original edition of Bikes vs. Skis from two years ago, you can find that conversation over on our Gear 30 podcast, that was episode number 21. And then once you're done listening with today's episode, we want to hear from you, even though if we kind of say some mean things about some of the comments, sorry about that. Um, anyway, we do want to hear from you. And then let us know in the comments section of the show notes to this episode on our website, whether you agree or disagree with our parallels. And let's see if you all can come up with some better, more accurate analogies than the ones we've proposed. And with that, let's go ahead and get to my conversation with David Golay, Noah Bodman, and Eric Friesen. Here we go. All right, well, I am back with David Golay, Eric Friesen, and Noah Bodman. We are here for Bikes versus Skis Part 2, and um, I have a feeling this isn't going to be our shortest episode ever, so we should just get going here. One of the things we needed to clear up from Part 1 was, uh, Noah, you and I in particular were trying to figure out what we started calling our Eyes Wide Shut Ski would be. and um, I had to go, You were calling... The eyes wide. All right, I'll ski. take I it. I, I want full credit weird for that. Sexual undertones <laughs> about my recreational gear. This is a perfect description. And I'm happy to say that I think that I nailed this. Um, so, first of all, runner up is uh, 
is Zai, Z-A-I. You can go to Z-A-I.ch. I think that will get you there. Definitely my favorite description of a Zyski is the disruptor, which opens apparently with a quote from Albert Camus, which is usually when I'm trying to select a ski, I, I always appreciate it when that ski description just opens with like an existential philosophy quote. Uh, in this case, the disruptor, it says, I rebel, therefore I am. And then it goes on. Um, I, Noah, I just feel like they're speaking directly, you know, to you here. Uh, they say, you live your truths. You follow your own path. You don't do things differently because of the others. You do things because they suit you. It is your concern to find your own identity. You don't float with the current. You are the current. And then it basically goes on for four more paragraphs like this before we even start talking about a ski at all. So that's pretty eyes wide shutty, I feel. Yeah, I mean, I actually, I uh, I have to confess, I ordered a pair. <laughs> I think, like, just <laughs> while I was reading that, you were like, click, buy. <laughs> but again, that is only our runner-up because you can go to foilskis.com and look up the, <laughs> look up the Oro Nero where you will find a ski that has, I just keep envisioning this as like a, a fondue party. And they somebody just took a pair of look pivots and like just dipped them in cold and then bolted those to a ski made out of 8,000 year old certified bog oak. And then with the aforementioned 14 karat gold plated bindings, um, so that's foilskis.com. Be sure to go to the Oro Nero before your next Eidwise shut party and um, you'll be good to go and just just bring your mask, which I guess in an era of COVID, you might have your mask already. So that's it. Thoughts on this? Yeah, the gold-plated bindings are really particularly amazing, especially because they clearly don't make any mention of them being pivots or anything. Right. But it's like fucking gold. Yeah, it's gold. That's, that's the key thing here. I mean, as best as I can tell, they're pivot 18s. So to the credit of foil skis owners, you yes. know, they're kind of, they're rippers. Yeah. Fair, fair point. Or they, they're going to blow out their knees. <laughs> it is cool that they've somehow elevated the bindings higher. Like they've got a taller AFD and some weird riser on the heel too. But, uh, yeah. Yeah. Really good shit all around here. The Oro Nero. I'm actually need to just for a minute look at their. I don't see any Camus quotes. I'm. Ch does it, do you guys? I'm not seeing a description of the ski itself. Did you see the bag they come in? There's a built-in flask. Okay, that's actually worth it now. That's amazing. <laughs> I think these. Go, yeah. I think these run about eleven thousand dollars, but I'm not sure. Does anybody see a price? I mean, it probably fluctuates with the price of gold. <laughs> That's great. <laughs> right, right. I have to imagine this is a, if you have to ask, you can't afford it kind of situation, probably. Right. That could be true. Do you see how they have their bog oak timeline 
There's like, ah, uh, the, the first level of bog oaks, only 1,035 years. That's for peasants. Yeah. The, these are over 8,000, 8,290 years. That's the bog oak that went into these fucking skis. Yeah. Yeah, I'm not, I'm, my bog oak skis are, they're the only, they're like 800 years old. So I'm way, way far away from the 8,000 plus year old bog oak. But I, it's really like someday, I dare to dream, someday I'll be able to afford the, the 7,300-year-older bog oak with my fondue gold-dipped look pivots. Wait, wait, wait. Did you guys see the Oro Amaranto that is somehow Jackie Chan-related? Oh, that's awesome. I don't really understand what his tie-in is here, but um, it says limited edition and then just says Jackie Chan for some reason. How do, Maybe if you buy the ski, you get a ski day with Jackie Chan? Because that would like be how much fun do you think it would be to ski with Jackie Chan? I bet he's a delightful guy. That would be a, that would also make it worth it if you get a flask. Yeah, there is a flask with the Jackie Chan skis also, so that's excellent. All right, if it comes, if those skis come with the ski day with Jackie Chan, I'm in. <laughs> and you're ready for the eyes wide shut party. So there really is a lot of upside here. So anyway, that's the answer to. Uh, I guess the question I made up, which is what ski is the eyes wide shut ski. So I think we can move on now. In our next order of business, we, you know, we all have gone through the comments from you, dear listeners, uh, who left comments on our website and on Instagram and some emails came in and the like. And, you know, you know how it is around here at Blister. We, we don't pull punches. We try to keep it honest, right? And I got to say, I think the consensus from the group here is we thought some of the, a lot of the answers actually were pretty way off. Would you guys say that? They were that's, bad. There was, there was some, there's some maybe ones we didn't think were so great. And then kind of a lot of those. I'm, now I am sugarcoating it a little bit, but so, um, yeah, like people, I don't know what happened. I, I thought we would honestly get like a bunch of like great ones and maybe this, I think this is, it's got to be our fault somehow. We haven't done our job around here. There's, we've left too much confusion. What was, I think someone said Orbe was, what was the Orbe analogy? Orbe, where, I was just looking at it. Orbea is line skis. See, like that, that can't, that in no, <laughs> in no alternate reality or like that's just not a thing. Yeah. So let's defend yeah. that. Why is that not the right analogy? Orbea and line. Yeah, like Orbea's a small company that makes mountain bikes, but they're big part of their lines and their road bikes. That's I think what they're known for way more so than mountain bikes. And they're mostly doing high-end carbon stuff, whereas Line is a company that's better known for making slightly less expensive than average, kind of fun, playful, free ridey park skis and that kind of stuff and it just they don't match up at all okay yeah like orbea is like a a snooty road bikers mountain bike and line skis is not like i don't know like a snooty skate skiers uh alpine ski i i don't even know what the equivalent would be but it's it's not line skis i'm sorry sleek wizard you're wrong sleek wizard bro I think Sleek Wizard is trolling us looking at some of his answers. 
Okay, well, that would be the best. That would actually God, be... God, I would hope so. Yeah, that's we're actually going to hope for that now. So, good job, Sleek Wizard. Or yeah. it, it's going between, like, you're a moron, Sleek Wizard, or great job. <laughs> and we don't really know which is... We don't know which, yep. but we hope... We really hope it's the latter. All right, let's... I'll give you... We'll, we'll do three of these. So, that was one. Uh, does anybody... We're going to nominate two other, like, sorry, we can't get there. We can't get there with the analogy. Commonsol does not equal Rosignol. Explain. I mean, Commonsol is this little direct-to-consumer company that only does aluminum bikes. And they I mean, last episode, we talked about how they're, they're at least high on the list of Cool Kids brands. Rosignol is not in the hemisphere of Cool Kids brands. I'm sorry to say. They are you know they're they're well they're specialized they're like the uh the the juggernaut the the large brand uh that is commercially successful and soulless that except this is clearly spoken by somebody who has not skied the black ops the razi black ops 118 actually literally just bought that ski a couple months ago <laughs> and i also i within i think the same week bought a specialized enduro and a Rossi Black Ops 118. <laughs> so that the fact that those companies are capable of making a good product does not mean that they are not the soulless juggernaut. Oh boy. Man, Noah is just fired up tonight. Also, I'm just glad Luke Coppa is not in the same room with you right now, Noah, because I think you'd be dead. Because <laughs> you are talking mad shit about his like favorite ski of all time, and uh, I just bought the ski. Like I mean, I I acknowledge that it is a fantastic ski, and I acknowledge that the Specialized Enduro is a fantastic bike. It does not mean that the company, as an organization, is in any way equivalent to a company like Commonsol that is like you know they're they're like. Yeah, they have soul. They're they're dominating the World Cup circuit uh, from a position as a small company based out of Andorra that doesn't even make carbon bikes. Like it's just totally different. Okay, cranky Noah tonight, ladies and gentlemen. Eric, do you have a do, do you before we move on? Do you have any uh, just wrong analogies you need to point out? Well, to pick on. M Master a little bit more. Uh, his comparison between Yeti and Icelandic just makes me feel dirty, and I certainly don't agree with. Um, All right, well, defend defend this. Why not? Where how I don't. They're just not. <laughs> I don't I know. Mean, both both Colorado companies. Yeah, it's, it's it's like one brand is the bro bra and the other end is like the the hippie on weed. Yeah, and, and those groups don't hang out together. Yeti's like the race bred guy that wears a Fitbit and could tell you how many calories he ate, and the Atlantic is the guy who shows up in like a I don't know a Honda Civic with a spare tire and. <laughs> just kind of bumbles around. I don't know. Oh my god. <laughs> okay. All right. Cool. 
and that ends this segment called bad <laughs> bad listener analogies and now we're going to move on to our own more or less bad analogies wait 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 i thought we were going to i thought we were going to at least call out some of the listeners for being good okay you we should do that that's you're right no no Let's uh There's, there is redemption in the comments. Okay. It's it's hard to find, but it exists. <laughs> okay, Noah. Good. Cranky Noah is actually gonna take us up into a positive direction. This is good. Noah, what what who would you like to shout out instead of call out? Um, okay, so P Ford Green. I'm gonna shout out while I think uh two thirds of his comment is wrong. He did say Scott bikes equal Scott skis. There's a lot of people that are like, well, this company makes both bikes and skis, so Rossignol is also Rossignol. <laughs> and mostly I think they're wrong. But Scott Scott bikes is Scott skis. I I think that one's actually yeah, kind of right. Uh I'm gonna give that one to him. Okay. I, I think he's correct there. Yeah, but this is like a broken clocks being right twice a day thing because this whole comment was just calling out the companies that made both. Yeah, yeah, this is true. I think somebody else called that out too and I'm just, I can't scroll fast enough to find it. Tree Hugger Nicholas also said Scott and Scott and did not say anything else. So that's the only thing he said. He is correct. He he or she, sorry. Uh, so yeah, that comment is 100% spot on. Yeah, and we were talking Good job, about tree hugger Nicholas. We did see a number where it was like, well, Common Sol makes bikes and skis, so Common Sol is the or Common Sol is of skis is the Common Sol of bikes, or Stokely, it, you know, bikes is the Stokely of skis. And it's like, no, just it's like you're not getting this. Like, just because you make both does not mean that those brands occupy the same sort of reputation. Uh, or customer base, or whatever, in these two different worlds. So, alas, we were a little disappointed. We we're a little disappointed, but you know it's okay. We'll do this again in like a year or two. And I do think, as long as we're throwing people out, I uh, Ski Bird, I think was the comment that I agreed with the most. He was a little cocky about it. He said he owned it last time. <laughs> I, I didn't go dredging through old Instagram comments to see if that was true. No, it is. It was but, true. You were very complimentary. You yourself, Noah, were very complimentary. So, and we don't mind cockiness around here if you're right. So, yeah. yeah. I, I mean, I think, you know, it's not perfect. Stokely equals KHS. I don't know about that one. Transition equals Icelandic. Yeah, he dropped off a bit at the end of his comment, but I think he had some good points in there. Uh, Trek equals Rosignol. I think that's pretty good. I like the Praxis equals Canefield. I thought that was a pretty good one. Commonsol equals Faction. I liked that one. So on the whole, I thought that was a pretty good comment. All right. Well, it's our turn now to get to the analogies. We've just kind of talked a lot of shit about some of the analogies we didn't think were so great. So I sure hope you guys are ready to step up. So, David, we'll give you the first one. Um, give us the bike company and the ski company that you think works as the best analog. Well, to start off, we talked about Moment a whole bunch in our last episode, and I have them slotted against Transition. They're both kind of on the bigger end for the smaller independent brands and both make kind of aggressive free ridey sorts of skis and bikes, respectively. And so that's my pairing for that one. Noah and Eric, 
can you live with that? Yeah, I, I don't hate that. I mean, I, I could throw an ON3P in there, but I think I think the the size of the company makes David's analogy about as right. You know, these are all slightly off for some reason or another, but I think that one's pretty good. You good, Eric? I'm good. Okay, Noah, give us yours. Okay, so... I want to go something much smaller and more obscure just for the sake of conversation. Uh, so Orange Bikes, it's this British brand. They have this uh, long history of making, uh, I, I think they've, they've really built bikes around their geometry. They've had a lot of success with them. They've had some successful racers on them. Steve Pete rode Orange Bikes for a long time. Uh, and I think they are white dot skis. Uh, in that they make some uh, really interesting models. They make some skis that a lot of people really like, but they've maybe been left a little bit behind. Uh, they have British ownership. Uh, so, yeah, it, it, it's kind of a random one. But to get away from the, the big brands, the you know Rosignol equals Trek or whatever, uh, I wanted to throw that one out there just because I'm sure someone will have... Uh, an incorrect opinion about it. <laughs> you guys okay with that? David, thoughts? No real argument there. I think that works. You okay, Eric? Yeah, I'm good. Does does White Dot have much of a... Com- does it have the same competitive pedigree that Orange Bikes does? I, I'm just not familiar enough with them to really know. I'm going to go with no. Yeah, I mean, I, I think not quite in the same way. Okay. Um, Eric Friesen, what do you got? Uh, so I think the the comparison that I would go with, um, I draw some similarities between Pivot Cycles and Solomon Skis. When I think of both, I think of uh, a very refined and highly engineered product. Um, typically, they include lots of uh, branded in-house tech in the stuff that they do. And... When I think of either brand, I don't think of uh, Pivot or Psalm as, as being super heavy on any end of the spectrum of like, if you buy a Pivot, it is always going to be this, or if you buy a Solomon, it is always going to be that. They tend to kind of, it seems like, target the middle ground of many users and ability levels and make something that's pretty accessible to a lot of people. Hmm. David, thoughts on that? That makes a bunch of sense, um, and kind of especially the way you placed pivot. I think checks out. Um, I had written down vocal for pivot for sort of similar reasons to at least the first half of what you said about little bit higher end, lots of fancy carbon construction, pretty just highly refined and very carefully engineered products. The um, bit about it kind of working for a big range of skiers and what have you kind of maybe falls apart a little bit on that one compared to what you were saying with that comparison. But uh, I don't hate what you had there either. <laughs> Noah? Yeah, I mean, I sort of agree with everything that's been said, but I, I like Eric's initial uh, pivot equals Solomon. There's there's a little bit of a difference on on scale of the companies, size of the companies. Pivot's definitely a smaller player in the relative scheme of things, but but yeah, I, I, I'm okay with it. I can live. 
Yeah, I I mean this the size of the companies makes that one like in that respect I I would feel like vocal maybe if we if we're saying the characteristics we're in all agreement with that is a pretty massive difference in terms of this you're talking about one of the biggest ski brands on earth. So it's it's for that reason and not that that has to be the only criteria but that's where it feels like Solomon almost has to get paired up with like a giant or Trek or specialized, but not in Eric's world of analogies. Not in my world. Not in your world. <laughs> Back to you, David. What do you got? Well, since Noah called out ON3P uh, as the potential pair for transition, I'll just go key rolling with that one. And the pairing I had for them was Gorilla Gravity. I think in terms of company scale, they match up pretty well. They both have a really strong core group of fans who are super into their product. They both have a reputation for making things kind of on the burly side. And that was where I was thinking with that one. How significant or not significant is it that, right, Gorilla has been talking up a materials story um, which well, is the- ON3P kind of does too with bamboo cores. Certainly they're not the only people doing that, but that is a big part of their deal too. Mm, okay. Maybe I'm just, I mean, that's kind of been from the jump and for like ever. So maybe that's why True. that part of it feels like, I, I agree with you on all the other stuff. I just think the gorilla story these days is so much about materials. I don't know, Noah or Eric, anything? I think this one is uh, 100% correct. Okay. Spot on. Yeah, I, I was good. This was one of my perfect ones that I was going to say later, but David kind of stole my thunder. Okay. You okay, Eric? I'm good. Noah, where are we going? So uh, I, I'm going to reverse this a little bit. So we talked earlier about a lot of our Instagram comments and, and how uh, unquestionably wrong a lot of them were. But a lot of people were talking about Icelandic in there and and comparing them to various wrong bike brands. Uh, but that had me thinking, I'm, I've been trying to figure out what the equivalent of Icelandic actually would be. And I really see Icelandic as a company that um, puts a lot of value into sort of the artistics and visual side of their skis. They put a ton of work into their top sheets. Uh, whether or not you like them, I guess doesn't really matter. Uh, they they clearly work hard on them, and I think don't they have like an art gallery in in Denver or somewhere on Front Range, Colorado, where they it's sort of like a mixed like ski shop slash art gallery thing. Um, so I've been trying to come up with a bike brand that that compares to that that really uh, puts. Uh, form over function to some extent and i this is not one of my per- perfect analogies but the best i could come up with was uh bold cycles hmm. uh they did this line of bikes where uh the shocks were hidden so it's a full suspension bike but it doesn't really look like a full suspension bike cuz you can't see the rear suspension on it and uh, I've never ridden one. I don't think I've ever actually even seen one in person. Uh, but they look kind of cool in pictures. I've 
got to imagine that there's some sacrifice in the kinematics on that thing. So it really seems like a bike where they're they're putting that form over function. They're they're trying to make a really sleek, clean looking carbon bike. Uh, and and that's their priority over making the bike that that performs as well as possible. It's it's not clean, you know. The 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 Icelandic skis, you know, they they put a lot of effort in their top sheet, but it doesn't really have anything to do with how the ski skis. It's just how they look. Um, but that's what I've got. You guys can argue about it, David or Eric. Yeah, I mean, Noah, you addressed what I was going to say with that last comment that. In the case of the skis, the t- whatever's going on with the top sheet is kind of irrelevant to the function of the ski, whereas with a bike, the overall lines of it, like you said, do have an actual impact on suspension kinematics and whatnot. And so try, like, it sort of sounds like it's dinging Icelandic for some form over function thing that isn't really necessarily true. Yeah, and I don't mean to ding them. I'm I'm more talking about kind of the uh the mood of the company, you know, where they're they're putting their effort and and their emphasis. Even though I'm sure Icelandic puts a lot of effort into into tuning their shapes and cores and and materials. I'll just throw in that I feel really mean about what I said about Icelandic earlier. I'm sorry, <laughs> Icelandic. It's okay. Is this part we were mean? I don't, to... I don't think you're a clapped out Honda Civic with a spare tire. <laughs> <laughs> I just don't. I just don't really understand who their their skis are intended for. So <laughs> I love that we got like a confessional slash apology <laughs> in the middle of this. That was great. All right, where are we going next? I think it's Eric's turn. What do you got for us? Yeah, so I've been trying to think about um, one of the analogs for one of my favorite ski brands, Forefront. And I think who I would draw the the closest comparison to would be Banshee Bikes. Uh, They're both smaller brands. They both really seem to be pretty honed in on what their core audience of users is interested in and really try to put out products that cater pretty exclusively to those people rather than, you know, grabbing market share from other areas. Um, They're both definitely designed very much, you know, in-house and with a lot of, uh, with a lot of very direct feedback through the design process. And I think you see that in the way that both brands have very often kind of been sort of vanguards of, uh, new trends or are early on in adopting new trends, whether that's, uh, you know, adjustable geometry or, you know, long loan slack, shorter travel trail bikes, you know, as compared to like some of what Forefront's done with their uh, rocker and side cut profiles and stuff like that. Um, but when I think of Forefront skis, Banshee bikes kind of comes to mind as, as a, a good comparison. Thoughts, David or Noah? I think that does work for the reasons that you said, like kind of given that certain framing that does kind of check out pretty well. Um, I had a pretty substantially different company written down for forefront, um, which I guess is just looking at it from a different angle. Uh, what I had there was Comensal. Um, and my thinking there is that it's, yeah, it's kind of a different way of looking at it. You've got um, these two, 
companies that have been around for a while, both made a pivot to direct to consumer sales after kind of struggling to find their way for a minute in terms of how they were marketing or bringing their bikes or products to market. And they've both got, now that they're doing the direct to consumer thing, they're a little bit on the more um, real strong bang for your buck front. They both got a pretty impressive stable of professional athletes on their products. So different framing, I guess, but that was the way I approached that one. Okay. I think that makes a lot of sense too. All right. Well, I think I'm going to jump in here. I wanted to ask, uh, when Noah and I did this a couple years ago, we paired up Zeroed with the ski company Renown. And I actually loved that analogy at the time. I'm wondering if you guys have reason to think that Renown is no longer the best analogy with Zeroed or anybody want to switch that one up? Basically, I mean, Renown is talking a big, not just talking, Renown has a big like material story in terms of what they're doing. It's pretty freaking wild on the ski side, basically creating lightweight skis that are far offer far more damping than most lightweight skis. And so given the kind of, and then Zeroed has its internal gearbox. And so, I don't know, at the time I was like, that's a really nice analogy. Um, anybody want to give me a better one two years later? No, I actually still think that's super good. They both have their own specific and pretty unique piece of technology that they're all about. And that definitely still scans. Okay. And they're not inexpensive products, right? I mean, they're, and they're not really apologetic about that. Um, yep. So there's that as well. Okay. Noah, what do you got? So I, I'm going to continue down my road of talking about uh, smaller, more obscure connections that probably don't make that much sense. But I've been staring at Cannondale on my on my list of bikes that are in front of me and my list of bike companies. You know, there's a lot of these companies that it's like, oh, you know, they they make great bikes. You know, Santa Cruz, they make great bikes, but it's you know, they don't have a defining feature of the company that really stands out to me where it's like ah, I can pick that apart and find the ski brand that's 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 uh, equally quirky. Cannondale is a quirky company, at least historically. They've gotten a lot more normal over the past eh, three or four years, despite the fact that they've got this downhill bike that may or may not have two shocks, depending on the mood of the mechanic. Um, but in the past, the Cannondales, they've done all sorts of weird shit. They've, they've always done things their own way. Uh, some people really liked them. There's There's like this small but vocal contingent of people that still believe the lefty is the greatest fork ever made. They're wrong, but that doesn't change the fact that they are really passionate about their opinion on that. And so I think Cannondale is Volant. Uh, Volant made some weird skis for a long time that were totally different from anything else then or now that is on the market. Like, I don't think there's anybody else that has done a stainless steel top sheet, much less a stainless steel top top sheet on every single ski they made. 
And they made the spatula. They had Shane McConkey on their lineup. So that's similar. Cannondale had some of the best riders in the business on their race team for years. You know, Missy Giovi just destroyed everyone on a Cannondale. They had Miles Rockwell and, you know, all these other big names rode Cannondales for years. Uh, and they were just weird bikes. And and so, yeah, I think Volant is the Cannondale of the ski world. Wow. Thoughts? Yeah, I had a hard time with Cannondale because, like you said, they're kind of a big company that also has this deep current of weirdness running through it. And um, honestly, that, that's better than what I had written down. So, yeah, I'm pretty good with that. I'm just curious. What did you have written down? I don't think this is particularly good. This is one of my weak ones. But um, I had head from the perspective. And the weirdness part doesn't work at all here. But I had like they're both bigger-ish, but not quite like top-tier huge companies that um, I think are head probably a bit stronger presence on kind of the like front side and racing skis. And then they make some free ride skis too. And then similarly, Cannondale's got a really strong road side of the company and then they make some mountain bikes kind of deal. So from that perspective, it works. If you take, if you kind of take the 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 normal side of Cannondale then I totally get the head comparison and I think for the uh more modern Cannondales then the head comparison becomes more spot on yeah I think that's about right but the the weirdness part of it isn't right for head so that was where that one gets a little weaker maybe if you gold plated the bindings <laughs> on a head <laughs> I'll be sick um you good with this Eric I'm good okay you're up what do you got Hmm. I think this is, if I remember correctly, this is one that uh, I agreed with from the uh, Instagram post. Okay. I think somebody pointed this out. But uh, I think that you can draw some pretty strong comparisons between Kona bikes and K2 skis. They both do huge volume, have kind of that like lifestyle, surfy, vibey, uh, flowery vibe to them. Um, both seem to, you know, kind of make their way by making product that, again, is pretty accessible to a lot of people and isn't other than, you know, a couple exceptions like the Hanzo or the Hellbent um, isn't going to be coming at you like way out of left field. Um, they both seem to tend to the heavier and more durable side of the spectrum. I don't see a lot of real blown up either. Um, and I see a lot of people riding, you know, both old Konas and old K2s and still loving it. And uh, they definitely, they both also sign some pretty aggro athletes who like to send it real big. So, hmm. David and Noah, you live with that? I actually had the same thing written down. Boom, yeah, Eric. I'm well done. fully on board. Yeah, I think that's pretty spot on. I could, I could make a half-ass argument for a couple other brands but uh, it's not as good. So hmm. I'm just going to leave it at that. All right. I'm jumping in um, just to ask the question, just to make sure we get to it. Who is intense these days? What I had written down for that one was Armada in the sense that they're both companies that were really big a while ago and have both seemingly lost the plot a little bit and struggled to kind of adapt to newer things that are going on in the industries and haven't totally figured out how to 
hack it in 2020 100%. I think for the same reasons that David just said, I had vocal. Uh, Whoa. And and I would add, you know, it's it's a real like race-bred background. Mm-hmm. Uh, they made, well, Intense had a strong racing heritage and they moved into sort of the the trail segment, but their bikes always kind of had that, you know, racing aura around them. Whereas, and and the vocals, I think, are the same way. You know, they had sort of this strong racing heritage, but then they made like the explosive that was kind of a game changer for, uh, for, I guess, all mountain skis. Um, but then both intense and vocal, I feel like have really faded off almost on the exact same timeline, really, uh, you know, maybe 10 years ago or so they sort of just started there. There wasn't like a precipitous slide. It was just sort of a, a gradual fading into the background that neither of those brands to this day have really recovered from. They're both respected, but they they aren't nearly in the position they were 20 years ago, let's say. Are you sure about that, Noah? I mean, like I I'm think just thinking through Vocal and I guess I'm like saying that because Vocal is one of those companies where I feel like they are kind of turning a corner back, like, you know, like finding their and, way and again. Then, they may well be if they're turning that corner it's it's a recent turn and it's and i would say it's maybe too early to say that the corner has been turned and the same could be said for intense you know they just hired gwyn a year ago they've got a strong racing team if racing happened anymore then we might be seeing mm. gwyn winning on his new prototype intense yep. that they were flashing around on instagram before the apocalypse hit um so, yeah, I mean, I think you could make the similar argument that Intense is trying to turn the corner. Uh, whether that corner has actually been turned or not, mm, I don't know. And and I would waffle the same way on vocal. All right, Noah, this one, I'm fascinated by this because what I'm trying to figure out is like, if you and I are just thinking about vocal and where they are at, um, in pretty different ways, because when I hear you talk in this way, like I'm honestly like, okay, if vocal isn't maybe they're not the biggest brand in the world, but man, I've been having positive experiences on most of the vocal. Like I love the mantra, the vocal mantra one Oh two, the mantra M five, they came out with a couple of seasons ago is a real, real precision, great all mountain ski. And so I guess that's where I'm finding myself a little bit confused. If you're saying like Intense's product isn't there right now. And then when you're talking about Gwyn coming on, I mean, like, I guess what I'm trying, and Eric, I can't wait to hear what you say, what your thoughts are on this one. But like, if we were going to do this again, say two years from now, and I, I mean, we will be doing it two years from now. Frankly, my only question is if we do this every single year, I don't know. But if in two years we were like vocal is kind of king right now, that would not actually surprise me. And I guess one of the things I'm wondering about is 
would you, could you say the same about intense where two years from now we might be like, remember when everybody, when Santa Cruz had pretty universal approval, it's kind of intense right now. Does that question make sense? Yeah, I think it makes sense. And I think we're just looking at it from different perspectives because I'm looking at it more from the overall state and an impression of the company that I see, whereas I think you're looking at it as the actual quality of their products. Mm -hmm. And I'm not saying that either Intense or Vocal makes a bad product. And, you know, to be sure, both of those companies have uh, better products in their line and worse products in their line. Some of Intense bikes are better than others. Some of Vocal skis, I'm sure, are better than others. I'm more talking about it that... You know, 10, 15 years ago, there was a time when, man, you showed up with an intense at the trailhead and people were like, ooh, that's a sweet bike. Mm -hmm. And there were times when I would look around the lift line and it's like you saw quite a few vocals. If you asked any random person, what ski should I buy? You know, vocals were always on the list. And these days, I just don't feel like that is nearly as true as it was hmm. 10 or 15 years ago. Doesn't mean that there aren't some great vocal skis in the lineup. Doesn't mean that, you know, those might not be the best ski for any given skier mm-hmm. on any given day, but they don't have the same reputation that they did in the past. Those brands, both in both vocal and intense, they don't, they don't enjoy the same notoriety that they used to. Uh, maybe they should. Maybe they're on the way back. You know, I think you can make a pretty good argument that vocal is maybe uh, harder into that upswing than intense is, hmm. and that may well be true. I don't. I don't think when we do this two years from now that intense is going to be in some dramatically different situation. Maybe vocal will be. Mm-hmm. Uh, I hope they both will be for their sake. Yeah. But, uh, yeah, you know, I just see it as, as more of a comparison of what they were in the past versus what they are now. Hmm. Eric, what are you thinking of this? You're in agreement, disagreement? I think I'm generally in agreement with Noah. Um, when I think about both, I think about companies that figured out pretty early on something that a lot of consumers really liked and gravitated towards and then sat on the laurels of that discovery for maybe a little bit too long um, without kind of continuing to push the envelope. And it does seem like both in the last couple of years have been making a pretty big effort to, to turn that ship around. Um, but generally I would, I would, I think I agree with Noah's analogy. David, what are you thinking of this intense and vocal. Yeah. I kind of gravitate a little more towards Jonathan's side of this one. Like, I think that I have much higher uh, expectations or thoughts on the potential for the upswing for vocal. And like, I don't disagree with what uh, Erica and Noah have said about them both having kind of sat on what they were doing for a while and suffered a bit of a fall off as a result. But I think that um, vocal is just ahead on the rebound as compared to intenses. What are your thoughts? What's your wager, David, on two years from now? 
if I'm saying it wouldn't, I'm not predicting it per se, but it wouldn't be like wild surprising to me if we're like, man, vocal has just found it, like found their footing, like they are on point right now. Where are you with intense? I think I would be more surprised, not ruling it out, but I don't think the odds seem super high. Okay, this is what we're going to do now. We're going to turn to some of the big companies that we haven't really been talking about too much yet. So let's just lead off with Santa Cruz. Jump in if you think you have the best answer here. Ready, go. Uh, yeah, so for Santa Cruz, I like Solomon. You know, the these big companies, it's hard to get a real uh, direct analogy, but Solomon feels like they have kind of a similar vibe as Santa Cruz. And I would say Solomon uh, in past years has kind of been on an upward trend in terms of their market position, which I would also say is definitely true of Santa Cruz. You okay with that, David? I, I don't hate it. I was going to say Blizzard, I think, for in the way that we talked about in part one of this, they're both medium large companies who seem to just have their whole program figured out really well and are doing big volume, but still have a sensible cohesive line and are just doing their thing and have it nailed down pretty well. Whereas I would have to imagine that Solomon is quite a bit bigger than Santa Cruz and they have a bigger, wider line of stuff and they make things down to rental skis and a whole range of stuff in a way that Santa Cruz doesn't. So I think that's where that one falls apart. I'm going to side with David on this one because I want to use Solomon for another brand. Let's hear it. What? Where do you want to go with Solomon, Eric? I would uh, draw comparisons to Specialized as another big brand that really has uh, market share and you know, just about every segment of the of where they operate. Yeah, I think I just I like specialized in Solomon as more analogous. Okay. Noah, specialized in Solomon. You want to f- I I'm already on the record as saying Rosy is uh specialized for me. Oh, that's right. Your soullessness. Yeah. Yeah, uh perfectly good products, but you know, lacking soul despite despite the uh former name of most of Rosie's lineup. <laughs> and and I love that you just went out and bought two soulless products um from two soulless companies. So that's fantastic. Yeah, no no one's ever accused me of being some kind of soul rider. I don't have a soul patch. I yeah. Okay. Uh the brownies in my kitchen have nothing special about them got it uh david who did you like for specialized i had solomon written down too for sort of similar reasons to eric i'm on board with him on that one okay sticking with you david who we lining up with trek i had atomic there i think they are again just huge companies that are doing massive massive volume and then when sort of pairing the handful in that category up i went with that pairing because I think they are two that have a little bit of a particularly strong presence on the race slash front side and then road scene respectively relative to their mountain bikes or free ride skis kind of deal. Noah and Eric, you okay with that? Yeah, I can live with that. I was trying to make a case for Fisher. Trek and Fisher. 
kind of this, I don't think I can do a better job than David did, but kind of the the same reasons. Yeah, I feel like the scale of those companies is way off though. Trek Trek I think hits all aspects of the bike side much better than Fisher hits all aspects of the ski side. It's tricky though once you bring Europe in. I mean, Fisher is selling a lot more, I believe, in Europe than here. And that might I don't know how, I mean, I don't know enough about Trek sales in Europe, so maybe the analogy still doesn't work that well. I bet they're selling a lot more in North America. Trek is. Europeans only buy e-bikes anymore, so. (laughs) Yeah, so I mean, in that way, it might actually. Trek and Fisher, if it's like Trek's doing more business in North America, Fisher's doing more business in Europe, the the analogy, I'm I'm defending Eric here, could actually work a bit better. Anything more to say, I guess, about on specialized in Trek. I, I like the atomic and I don't hate Fisher, but I, I think I would go with the atomic. Um, all right, moving on. Who's giant. I've been struggling with this one. Cause I feel like, like giant, they come out with a bike. It's a perfectly competent bike. It's well-priced. It's well-spec for the price. And then they don't change it for like a millennia. And then they totally redo it. And then the new one's good again. But, you know, but, but Giant makes everyone else's bikes. They're the biggest mm-hmm. bike manufacturer in the world. So uh, I think this is the same answer that we came up with two years ago, but I still put Elon with Giant just because everybody builds their skis in the Elon factory. Mm-hmm. But that's kind of, it's, it's pretty half-ass. I, I, I don't know. I mean, it's, or it's not. I mean, from sheer volume, I, I might be tempted to line them up with head, but in terms of the factory element, that's where Elon. So I, I think it actually works, Noah. Um, David or Eric, anything better to add on that? Nope, I'm with Noah on that one. Yeah, I'm in okay. agreement there. All right, moving from real big to less big and kind of on down to a whole lot less big. We're going to round this out. This will be maybe a little bit more of a lightning round thing, though I don't know how good we are ever at being quick on this stuff. But um, let's move to Ibis. Who are we lining up with Ibis? This was one I had a particularly hard time with. The thing that I wrote down that I don't like very much is uh, Dinastar. And I guess I was just trying to find someone that felt like they were in the kind of mid tier in terms of volume, a little bit higher end stuff generally and have a strong cult following, but aren't doing super monster volume. Um, It's not great in a bunch of ways. Like I think Ibis has sort of much more of a fun, quirky side to the company that Dina star doesn't really, um, but I didn't come up with a perfect one there. I do like that Dina star also feels like they very often use, uh, sort of the legacy of their products to build on, you know, the next one. Um, that's a good point. The same way that, that Ibis very much, you know, their, the progression of their bikes is very linear. It's very easy to follow. Um, I feel like 
Dina Star kind of does the same thing there as well. They don't jump around the map a whole lot in terms of like what they're releasing. Well, they kind of did. I mean, I I don't. I like the legacy part of that, and I think we mean that as like in a good way, right? Like, I mean, there is a cool legacy element, I guess, to both brands, but I feel like Dina Star has tried to jump off their track in some ways that frankly didn't go that well for them. And I've personally, I mean, Noah has spoken about this, I think in part one, but I, I like to think that Dina Star is kind of finding their way back to their track or lane. And I think that is a hundred percent the right thing to be doing um, for them to be doing. So I don't know though. I, I do, I, I can't get past like the aesthetics part where it seems like that is like a plus one for Ibis in terms of what they're doing. Like they have some beautiful lines and that's not really something it, that's a part that I don't associate really. I don't hear a lot of people like the reason they love their Dina stars is these like aesthetics so much. You should yeah, see my Dina fair. stars. They're like the sexiest. Skis. <laughs> no, I, I am dead serious. They're awesome looking. Well, skis. which ones from like 10 years ago? XXLs or yeah, something? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, well, that's yeah. like not made anymore, right? Like that. that's Yeah, that's but I what bought I mean. them new. I've been looking for them for 10 right. years and I finally found them. But no, I mean, I think everything that's been said so far is true. I agree that Ibis is really tough to match up. I agree that Dina Star isn't bad. I also agree that Ibis has been a lot steadier in yep. their brand appeal yep. and and the quality of the product they've been putting out. But at the end of the day, I, I still kind of wrap around that, like, eh, it, as far as imperfect analogies go, I'm 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 okay-ish with the Dina Star. Okay. Um, the only other one that I was kind of kicking around was Moment, which I really don't like. I think Dina Star is better. But uh, as far as kind of smaller sort of indie brands but they've they've been around for a long time they've grown uh moment i think has been a bit steadier than dina star but it's imperfect for all kinds of other reasons and for the sake of time maybe we don't need to wade into those okay what about an ibis and my new favorite ski brand icelandic comparison they tick the same aesthetic boxes, a fun and quirky vibe that's accessible to their customers, similar production size and scale, and I'm reaching, but I just really want to love Icelandic now. I fucking hate that. <laughs> yeah, I don't think that one works. I'm a, I would, I, I don't think that one works. I'm sorry, Eric, but you are just wrong. Uh-oh. I'm not you and Street I'm, Wizard. I'm just trying to love Wizard. Them. Sleek Wizard. Yeah, you and Sleek Wizard. Yeah. God damn. All right, we're vetoing that. Okay. Damn well, it. I that helps me like the <laughs> Dina Star analogy more because I definitely don't like the ice. You know, so sometimes, sometimes you get where you're going. You find out where you're living by figuring out what you definitely dislike. So that was helpful, Eric. Yeah, you I appreciate hit rock bottom first. Yeah. Yeah. Um. All right. Okay, another, this one we need to address because this got brought up a ton in the comments, especially I think on Instagram. Everybody was giving us their DPS skis analogy. And so we need to discuss who, 
do you guys want to put up as being the DPS skis of the bike world? David, tell us your answer and why is it Yeti? <laughs> yeah, I, I did have Yeti written down for this. Um, I think the reasons are basically that they are both companies that make quite expensive, fancy carbon fiber stuff. They have a little bit of a similar aesthetic going to them in that they have these like solid but bright colors going on on a lot of their stuff. Um, they have a bit of a reputation, fairly or unfairly, for being the preferred products of dentists in their respective activities. And I think a lot of the people who are buying them really do feel pretty strongly that they are the best possible product out there and look down on people riding other things a little bit. Eric Friesen, thoughts? I like it a lot, especially kind of the last couple sentences in there that resonated with me and really hit home. Um, I think two other brands that I would throw out that feel like you could make a good case to compare to DPS would be Alchemy or Spot Bikes. I think they also slot in pretty well to that kind of a niche. Uh, I hadn't thought of Spot, but I agree with the Alchemy, and and I would have thrown Pivot into the list of uh, bikes that, eh, yeah, it's kind of maybe. I mean, really, if you want to go more obscure, there's like Uno bikes. Uh, those things match up pretty nicely with DPS, but the scale of the companies is just completely hmm. different. DPS is much larger. Really, you know, in our list of imperfect analogies, I think Yeti's got to win this one out. Hmm. It's interesting. I mean, I, I guess I, as a generalization, and you guys, are, I want to see if you shoot this down. Fine if you do. Like, I don't know. I just keep thinking, I mean, I've spent, I've spent the most time on an SB130 and an SB140. And I mean, my takeaway on that SB130 is like, it seems to me like it is a bike that rewards like better climbing skills and descending skills. And I guess like a hang up there for me is that it is definitely not the only product DPS makes, but definitely right their flagship product has been the whaler 112 which was a ski designed to make powder skiing accessible to everyone and maybe that's why i keep one of the reasons why i, I bristle a little bit about the like yeti dps analogy um and of course dps is also making the incredibly heavy like dps koala right in a 189 which is just a straight up charger so they are differentiating what they're doing but does that does that make any sense or do you and again you guys well, i think i think this comes back to a, a quite a few of the arguments we've had in this like three hour ordeal yeah uh you're going in and picking apart individual products from these companies yes. and saying why they do or don't yep. fit this mold where in a lot of cases, uh, I slash we yep. are just taking a, a broader survey of what the company represents or what the impression of that company is or what the the general, you know, the feel for mm -hmm. that company might be. And yeah, I think you're spot on. I think the products that DPS makes 
uh, or the products that they are best known for are not at all equivalent to the products that Yeti is best known for. Mm -hmm. Uh, But I think the companies as a whole and the sort of broad opinion of those companies is, it's not spot on, but okay. I actually I think, think they're pretty close. Yeah, I think you're right, actually. Like, that makes sense. This has happened a couple times now where I'm like, those products, the products themselves don't really line up necessarily for me, but that's different from a general perception of these companies. And so I, I think that I give you that. Okay. Um, David or Eric, we, we good there? Anything else to add or are we moving on? No, I'm totally in agreement with Noah there. That is spot on. All right, let's address the evil analogy. We talked a lot about evil in part one, but I'm not sure we did the, did we end up pinning down evil with a specific ski company? David Golay. The company I wrote down for evil was Faction. I think they are both companies that had a reputation for being the cool kids a little while ago. They have both kind of seemingly rested on that and haven't changed their product lines a ton recently. Uh, They're both companies that have, like we talked about last time, become a bit less the cool kids because people who aren't very cool anymore have discovered that they are the cool kids and jumped on board. And they've both had uh, a few issues with durability in the somewhat recent past. So that's my call for that one. Noah and Eric. Yeah, I mean, I'm pretty okay with that. The only other thing I could think of to say there is inappropriately mean, so I'm not going to say it. Okay. Wow, self-restraint being exercised yeah. by Noah. This is a, this is a remarkable moment um, in Blister podcast history. Um, Eric, you okay with, with this analogy, or you had a different take? No, I dig it. Moving on, YT. Uh, I, I mean, it, I, I hang up on the direct-to-consumer con- thing, so, uh, you know, there's a couple of ski companies doing more direct-to-consumer type offerings these days, so I, I, you're probably more in tune with who is best known for being a direct-to-consumer brand. Who would you say is leading that? Because I would say YT is at the forefront of that on the bike side of things. Yeah, I think it's pretty definitely J-Skis in the ski world. Yeah, so uh, I, you know, you could nitpick uh, the specifics of the companies and come up with some other comparison, but I think that's that's the best I'm going to get. Eric, you might have thoughts on this one. I don't know. I mean, I'm not at all trying to defend a J-Skis YT analogy. It, like, might be okay, but I'm not married to that one. No, I like it. I mean, I think they both hit the fun times vibe pretty hard. Uh, Pack a lot of value for the dollar. And seem to, while they go at it with very different approaches, uh, both companies appear to have pretty sharp folks in their marketing departments and are finding creative and relatively unique ways to uh, deliver a message to potential customers. David? 
Yeah, J and YT is actually what I had written down. I think all the reasons that have been put forth so far are good. Um, the thing I would add to that is that um, probably in no small part due to the fact that they're hitting the value for dollar pretty hard. And I guess the combination of the fun times approach to marketing. Um, they're both companies that I see having like a particularly young buying demographic. And so, yeah, I think that's actually quite a good one. Has Jay Skis hired Christopher Walken for a ad yet? Because if they haven't, they should. You're right. They I thought should. that was that has not. That happened. was a great move. Yeah, they should do that. Hmm. That would really solidify that comparison, and it would be great. So, yeah, we just need more Christopher Walken in our lives, like in any respect. So, yeah, that's a great point. All right, these are our last two. I feel bad. We're leaving out a ton of companies. Apologies companies or your welcome companies maybe that we're not subjecting you to this but um i think we're gonna try to wrap this up um we're gonna talk about poll and then we're gonna finish with nikolai let's go poll what do we got well i think that was my suggestion so i'll i'll start off um i couldn't think of a a perfect comparison you know for a ski brand but one that kind of popped out to me was uh praxis skis um, you know, they're obviously using different materials, but their, their approach to manufacturing, you know, seems pretty aligned between the two to me. Uh, they both have some pretty aggressive and out there, um, design, you know, in, in some of the products that they release. And both companies also seem pretty receptive to consumer feedback and kind of changing up some of what they do based on that. Uh, so that was, those were two that felt somewhat aligned hmm. to me. I kind of feel like David's going to have strong opinions about this one. Well, I was actually going to say Praxis for Nikolai for basically the same reasons <laughs> that Eric did with the addition of the fact that both companies will let you get super weird with the custom options and radically change the shape and geometry of their products, you can get some very bizarre geometry in your Nikolai if you want to customize that. Praxis lets you pick rocker profiles and alter the width and a range of other stuff on their custom skis. So, uh, but actually, yeah, I think what Eric said makes a bunch of sense. Are you shifting your answer, David? Well, no, I think I think that Pole and Nikolai are very similarly aligned okay. for all of the reasons that Eric said. Okay. So like the the direction he was going with that works for both of them. Got it. All right. Um, Noah, thoughts on poll? I don't know. I'm just sitting here googling, trying to figure out who makes the longest skis <laughs> in the world. <laughs> and apparently, the longest skis are 555 meters long and were worn by 170 skiers in an event organized by Acre Solutions in Norway. Um, so yeah, I think that's. That's probably about the same as Pole or Nikolai. Well, especially yeah. Nikolai, because Nikolai makes a tandem mountain bike. Ah. Oh, yeah. There we go. Huh. All right. Well, did do we have something left here, or did we just kill two <laughs> birds with, with the proverbial stone? Yeah, I think we tied a bow on that pretty nicely. Wow. Okay. I never thought we'd come to an end of this conversation, and... For all of you listeners out there, 
Uh, let's just say... All three that are left. <laughs> let's just say that our poor podcast producer, uh, Jared Farley, just deserves really an extra shout out this week and like a bottle of whiskey because he's going to need it when he's done with this. Uh, when he's done with this. But um, I guess our work here is done. I can't believe it. Well, gentlemen, once again, thank you kind of uh, for this exercise. And... Uh, and as always, you know, dear listeners, which we, you know, we were we were harsh at the beginning. I know. Um, see what you think. You're welcome to be harsh yourselves about our answers. And, uh, you know, but let's let's put some effort into this. Like, let's try hard this week. If, you know, improve upon the analogies or tell us why we got it wrong. And, uh, you know, let's just all let's all just do better on that note. Good night, guys. Well, that's it for this edition of Bikes and Big Ideas, and that will wrap up our 2020 edition of Bikes versus Skis. And so, as we said, now it's your turn, so head over to the show notes of this episode on the Blister website to leave either your insightful remarks or angry diatribes in the comments section to the show notes. And if you are enjoying either some of our smarter Bikes and Big Ideas conversations or some of our dumber Bikes and Big Ideas conversations, like the one you just listened to, we would still appreciate it if you would leave us a rating in Apple Podcasts. Plus, there is also the incentive that uh, if you guys go stack these ratings up, as we mentioned in episode number 22 of Bikes and Big Ideas, we have to go make a bunch of crazy bike videos, which I think are going to be worth your while. So first of all, if you haven't listened to that episode and you don't know what I'm talking about, listen to number episode 22 of Bikes and Big Ideas. That is where we lay out these different videos we're going to do. And then go leave us a rating in Apple Podcasts. Thanks so much. We would be grateful. Finally, I want to say thanks to Jared Farley for producing this episode. And then until next time... Please take good care out there, and we will talk to you again next week.